Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. It is God's word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today. Open my heart to hear God speak a word. Reveal Jesus to me and fill me with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of today's message is Resurrection Power Today. Emphasizing the word today. Would you say it with me, church? Come on. Resurrection Power Today. And the subtitle would be something like this. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ means help for me today. And this is important because um, I don't think it's too hard to believe that probably most of the world, if not even some of Christendom, really don't connect the resurrection of Jesus that happened a really long time ago with any real relevant help Today, most of the time, they just leave that as this historic event, but they haven't really learned to make the connection about how the resurrection of Jesus can actually help me in my life. Like, God wants the resurrection power of Jesus to help you in your everyday living. He wants it to help you in your relationships. He wants it to help you in your career. God cares about your finances The power of the resurrection of Jesus is meant to impact every area of our life. It was never meant to be just some historic event that doesn't find any relevance in your everyday living. This is so important. Most people, they connect Easter with Easter bunnies, Easter eggs, Easter baskets. Come on, Easter ham lunch. Can I get an amen for that? I'm okay with that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with those things. But if you're a Christian, fundamentally, our foundation and our celebration should center around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but we should lean in and we should be looking for ways for that to help me today. Now, I want you to go with me in your mind and in your heart to that early Sunday morning years and years and years ago. Two of Jesus' followers, they run to the tomb and they're expecting to find Jesus. But to their surprise, the stone was rolled away and they were met by two angels. And one of the angels in Matthew 28, 5 through 7 says this. Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. In other words, come on, come and take a look. This is where he was, but he's not there anymore. Verse 7. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you into Galilee. And there you'll see him. Behold, I have told you. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's a historical, recorded, biblical fact. 
Now, I want you to fast forward with me to the life of the Apostle Paul. How many of you have ever heard of the Apostle Paul? He's responsible for writing so much of the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul was Jewish. He was raised in the synagogue, the Old Testament church. He was very familiar with the Torah, the Old Testament scriptures. As a matter of fact, Paul did the best that he could to live by the Ten Commandments and all of the other laws that the religious community had made. He did the best that he possibly could. And at his own admission, he was at the top of his religious game. But in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says he counts all of his religious accomplishments as rubbish. He says they're worthless. And the reason he says that, he says that because I want to know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. I want to know Jesus. All of the religious things, all of the religious accolades, all of the religious accomplishments, it's rubbish compared to my pursuit, Paul said, to know him and the power of his resurrection. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, it really stood out to me because it makes sense that he would say, to know him, Jesus, he's a person. But how could you know the power of his resurrection? That's not a person. That's something that happened. And he says, I want to know Jesus, but I also want to know the power of his resurrection. In other words, Paul was saying, I want the power as a result of the resurrected Christ to infuse my everyday living. I want the power of the resurrected Christ to help me in my everyday living. I want the resurrection power of Christ to strengthen me, to give me faith, to give me courage, to cause me to keep moving forward in the calling that God has in my life. It's the same for us. We can know the power of the resurrection. So here's here's the big question that I want to answer today. How does the resurrection power of Christ help me today? Isn't that a good question? Isn't that really what we need? We need this resurrected Savior to help us today in our everyday living. So I want to just give you one big, bolder truth. And then from there, I'm going to show you four distinct ways that the power of the resurrection of Christ can help you and can help me today. Here's the big foundational truth for the morning. The resurrection power of Christ is a new life-giving power. Come on, say it with me. New life-giving power. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but this is amazing to me. See, God is not offering you a better life. He's not offering you a better you. He's not offering you a good you instead of a bad you. He is offering you a brand new you. A new life. A born again life. A life where you are created, recreated by the power of the Holy Spirit in that original image of God Nothing between you and him. Clean slate, new life. That's what he's offering you. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans. I'm going to just read a couple of verses. 
And then I'm going to try to unpack it a little bit because it's a deep theological truth. But I want to see if I can help us to understand it and make it plain. This is what he says. He's talking to Christians. So when we were baptized, water baptized, we were buried with Christ and we took part in his death. And just as Christ was raised from death by the wonderful power of the Father, so we can now live a new life. Say new life. A new life. Now, just let me unpack this a little bit. Everyone who receives Christ as Savior, one of the first things that we're commanded to do, really, in Scripture, is to get water baptized. And when we're water baptized, it's symbolic. When you go down in the water, it's symbolic of you dying and being buried. And then when you come up out of the water, it's symbolic of you being resurrected to new life in Jesus Christ. Can somebody say, Amen, Pastor Robert? That's what that symbolizes. So he's saying, listen, when you were baptized, you were buried with Christ. You, your old person, your old sinful self, your old sinful nature, you were put to death. That's powerful. I don't know if you ever realize that. Like, spiritually, your old sinful nature was put to death when you said yes to Jesus. And not only that, but if you've ever been water baptized, that whole thing is like, like it's like an enactment of what happened to you in the Spirit. Dead, buried, gone, resurrected to new life. Now, this word new, I want to break it down. It's the Greek word kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S. That's the root Greek word. And it means fresh, unused, unworn. And it speaks of a different nature from what is contrasted as old. Or we could say, or the one you used to have, the old nature that you used to have. So when God says we have a new life in Christ, you got to get it. It's not a rebuilt you. It's a brand new you. That's why the Bible says if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old one was messed up by sin. So Jesus had to do what he did so that a new creation could be made available to you and I. Now, I want to share something with you just briefly. It's a deep theological, deep Bible truth. And you can go home and study it a little bit more. But two of the titles that Jesus has in the Bible, one of them is... The last Adam. Say that with me. The last Adam. The other one, he is called the second man. Now, most people would read that and not really catch it. I had to study it. See, there was the first Adam, and he sinned in the garden. How many of you know that? He messed up every single other person. Now, because of his sin, we've got this infectious disease called sin that we're born with. He was the first Adam. Jesus is a representation of every human being. And when Jesus went to the cross as the last Adam, he was representing all sinful humanity. And when he died on the cross, I don't know how God did it, but God put everyone and everyone's sinful nature in Christ on the cross. And when he died, your sinful nature died with him. Can somebody say amen? He's the last Adam. Jesus is the very last Adam. He cut off the old sinful nature through his Crucifixion. 
Now, Jesus is also called the second man. That's good news. Catch this. There was a first man, Adam, but we didn't know. He messed it all up. So there had to be a second one. So Jesus went to the cross. He died. He was buried. And he was resurrected. When he was resurrected, he was resurrected as a second man, the start of a brand new race of men that can have relationship with God again. Last Adam, second man. When Jesus was raised from the dead, because you put your faith in him, you were raised with him. And now you stand in him as the second man, a brand new creation. Man, I don't know. You're not excited? I'm excited about that. That's exciting. That's good news. This is important. You're not who you used to be. Even if you still sin, even if you still have hang-ups, even if you're still working it out, because we all are, but you're not the old sinful self you used to be. I want us to watch a video just for a little bit. I want to tell you in advance. It's five minutes long. It's a testimony of a Jewish man who was raised in the synagogue. He was very religious. His daddy would take him to synagogue like church. But he got turned off to church because he saw that adults were paying money to get up in synagogue and to read from the scriptures for the day. That didn't sit right with him. And so as he got older, he just kind of pulled away from synagogue, less and less religious. And like a lot of us who pull away from God, he found a pathway of sin and he got all wrapped up in the world. But somebody gave him a Bible and it changed his life. Let's watch the video and then we'll come back up and we'll continue the message. I'll never forget going to shul on Yom Kippur with my dad. One of the things that I always noted as a young boy was the announcements that would be made from the bima uh, of the amounts that would be paid by members of the congregation to read from God's law. How can the amount that people are paying be announced like this to read from God's word? Something about it seemed as if to cheapen God's word for me. And it obviously that type of thing really got me to start questioning what I believed, firstly about Judaism and secondly about God. I was a pretty godless young man. I was a wild guy. Um, I was a, I was a Wildechai, as they say in Yiddish, in school. You're a little gangster child, a little bugsy malon. I would go to shul every day as an Orthodox Jew at a Jewish day school in Johannesburg, South Africa. For me, God's existence was obvious. But how to talk to this God, how to reach this God, why can't the Buddhists reach God the way they want to, Muslims the way they want to, Catholics the way they want to, and Jews, you know, this is the way we do it. I was really the ultimate relativist. And I lived my life like the ultimate relativist. I went into advertising. And if one thing's going to really affect your level of faith in humanity and increase your level of cynicism, it's advertising. Because the advertising industry, as you probably know, is based on manipulation of individuals to believe certain things and so when you look at advertising you start to look at what advertising teaches us and what institutional religion teaches us it's not too much of a stretch to see the parallel between the two so literally by the time I was 22 23 years old I had pretty much given up on the idea of any kind of religion being true I was literally at the peak of my career I was flying around the world at the age of 28, living in five-star hotels, parties and foreign shores with 
all kinds of entertainments, beautiful models. That for me was the high life. I thought I was invincible. And I came back from a party one night and I fell asleep behind the wheel I'd been drinking. And I woke up with the motor car on top of me. My face was pinned to the ground and the roll bar, because it was a convertible, was pressing down on my head. I couldn't feel my arms or my legs. I couldn't lift my head. And I woke up with a car on me and believing for at least 10 minutes that I was going to be a quadriplegic for the rest of my life. That was the kindness of God saying to me, hey, wake up. For my 28th birthday, somebody gave me, a friend of mine gave me a Bible for my birthday. And, you know, you give a relativist in advertising a Bible for their birthday. It's kind of like, <laughs> thanks, but really no thanks. I thought, why don't I turn, just out of curiosity, just have a look at the New Testament. You know, when you grow up a Jew, you kind of immediately biased against anything that has to do with Jesus. The programming gets pumped into your head from the time you're a kid. Before I knew it, there were tears pouring from my eyes because I knew that no man spoke like this man. And as a writer, I knew that the words and the thoughts that Jesus was expressing were impossible for even an author to come up with. They defy human logic entirely. And yet they felt like to me, this is truth. I decided obviously to go back and look at the Old Testament and there sure enough in the Old Testament that I'd supposedly read so many times were these prophecy, prophecy upon prophecy that had come true in Jesus to the letter, simply. And it couldn't be denied. It wasn't like a Nostradamus thing where you go, well, I think this might be JFK and maybe he's referring to Hitler now. Right there in black and white was the date of the Messiah's arrival, how he would arrive, where he would be born, how he would die, how he would die for the sins of his people in intricate, perfect detail. And that is what you can call a mind bomb. It's a logic bomb because there's no escape from that. I underwent a fundamental change of character. Totally different. You wake up, I woke up one day in the same skin and I was a different person. You see, the world of advertising is about chasing. Chasing the dream that you will never achieve. We need to keep selling more products, so keep chasing. The world of religion, whether you're a Catholic or you're a Jew, you just keep doing, doing, doing. One day, maybe I'm going to earn the favor of this God which is, of course, ludicrous because all of us have fallen short of this perfection. The standard of heaven is perfection. No one has ever achieved that or will ever achieve it because of all the things they've done wrong. So the chase to pursue is fruitless, and it is the chase of advertising and the chase of religion. In Yeshua comes the peace to know that you're accepted by Almighty God, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done, satisfaction and peace can only be found in Jesus Christ. Well, that's a good place to applaud right there. Satisfaction and peace can only be found in Jesus Christ. So I want to share with you real quickly four ways the resurrection power of Christ helps me today. Number one. The resurrection power of Christ gives me a forgiven life. 
a forgiven life. Say those three words with me. A forgiven life. Some people might think, well, Pastor Robert, I, I don't feel guilty about anything. I don't think I'm guilty about anything. Well, let me just share this with you. Uh, guilt before God isn't about feeling. It's about who we are as sinners. That's the truth. The Bible says there's not one person right with God. No, not one. It says in the Bible that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So one of the ways that the resurrection power of Christ helps you today, if you receive Christ, it gives you a forgiven life. Let me share something with you. The Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing to Christians and he doesn't mince words. This is what he says. Surely you know that people who do wrong will not get to enjoy God's kingdom. He's talking about a lifestyle here, not an occasional slip-up. He goes on and he says, Don't be fooled. These are the people who will not get to enjoy His kingdom. He's talking about heaven. Those who sin sexually. Those who worship idols. Those who commit adultery. Men who let other men use them for sex. Or who have sex with other men. Those who steal. Those who are greedy. Those who drink too much or get drunk. Those who abuse others with insults. And those who cheat. Now let me pause. I want to be as gracious as I can. And I want to remind us. We're all under construction. Somebody say amen. Right? He's talking about a person who's made a decision for Christ, but they're still living a lifestyle in rebellion to God and persistent sin. This covers the gamut. By the way, this is going on all over our culture today. This list. I'm not going to go into detail. I think you understand what it's saying. Got good news though. Verse 11. Remember, he's talking to Christians. Check this out. He says, In the past... Some of you were like that. But you were washed clean. You were made holy. You were made right with God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Somebody say amen. When it says you were made right with God. In the New King James and possibly the King James Version. It says that we were justified. Justified. And the word justified is a legal term. And it means to acquit, to find innocent from all sin and righteous before God in the courts of heaven. In essence, you are completely and totally forgiven. Come on, say, I have been forgiven. Come on, say it. I have been forgiven. If you've received Christ, you got to know. One of the first things he does is he gives you a forgiven life. Number two, or letter B, the resurrection power of Christ gives me a worry-free life. Come on, say that with me. A worry-free life. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew six thirty-one through 33. Don't worry and say, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? That's what those people who don't know God are always thinking about. 
don't worry because your Father in heaven knows that you need all these things. What you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what He wants you to do. Then He will give you all these other things you need. See, as Christians, we get help because He gives us a worry-free life. We don't have to worry about provision. We don't have to worry about clothing. We don't have to worry about gas in the car, a roof for our head, our jobs, our careers, our kids. By the way, in the Bible, worry is a sin for a Christian. We don't need to go there. Why? Because your Heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Jesus says, just keep going after God. Just keep pursuing God. And as you do that, all the things that you need, He's going to provide for you. Somebody say amen. That's good news. You don't need to worry. Letter C, the resurrection power of Christ gives me, this is so powerful, a life of freedom and transformation. Come on, say that with me. A life of freedom and transformation. I know most of you know this, but really the ministry and the life of Jesus was centered on bringing the love of God and a life of freedom and transformation to everyone that encountered him. When he started his ministry in Luke 4.18, at 30 years old, he stands up in the synagogue. He's handed the prophet of uh, the book of Isaiah, and he begins to read. And while he's reading, he's reading about the ministry that he's been called to do. And this is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has chosen me to tell good news to the poor. He sent me to tell prisoners that they are free, and to tell the blind that they can see again. He sent me to free those who have been treated badly. Now, there's so much in these verses. But what I want you to know is that one of the ways that the resurrection power of Christ helps you is He brings you freedom. He doesn't want for you to be bound and shackled by sin, by harmful habits, by wrong thinking, by harmful pathways. He wants you to be free to experience the plan and the purpose that God has for you. He wants for you to experience life transformation. The closer you step in with God, the more He'll begin to transform the way you think, the more He'll begin to transform the way you feel. And when your thinking and your feeling is in alignment with God, your life will be in alignment with God too. Jesus wants to bring you freedom and transformation. Come on. He wants for you to experience life to the full. As a matter of fact, in John 10.10, he said it and he made it very clear. He said, the thief comes except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. If you step back and you look at your life and all you see is stealing and killing and destroying your relationships, your health, your finances, your mind, your soul. Everything feels like it's a wreck and it's, it's, it's all messed up. Well, I want you to know, friend, that's not God. That's not God's will. Jesus said that's the enemy of your soul. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. But listen to what Jesus said. But I have come that those who follow me may have life 
and life more abundantly. John chapter 10, verse 10. That's God's heart. Freedom, transformation, abundant life. That doesn't mean that life is always a bowl of cherries. That doesn't mean everything will be easy. But even when you go through it, He goes through it with you. Amen? But resurrection help is available to you. He wants you free. He wants you transformed. He wants you to experience life to the full. Letter D. Remember, we're answering the question, how does the resurrection power of Christ help me today? Letter D. The resurrection power of Christ gives me an eternal life. An eternal life. Say it with me. Come on. An eternal life. Now, it's important that I help us to understand this a little bit. And you might, but just in case you don't, someone might say, well, Robert, uh, everybody's going to live forever, aren't they? In one way or another. And that's true. But this eternal life with God is different than just living forever. Eternal life in the Scriptures is not just about the length or the duration of your life. Eternal life in God starts now when you receive Jesus, and it includes a quality of life as well. Come on, when you're in a relationship with Jesus, the favor of God is on your life. You've got something that other people don't have. Not everybody is walking with God. He wants for you to experience eternal life. And let me just say this. Eternal life doesn't start when you get to heaven. Once you have Jesus, you have some of heaven on earth. You can begin to experience some of the blessings of God on earth on this side of heaven. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 3, about eternal life. These are Jesus' words. He said, and this is eternal life. Now, he's going to define it real simply. Listen. That people can know you, the only true God, and that they can know Jesus Christ, the one you sent. So in Jesus' perspective, eternal life doesn't start when you go to heaven. Eternal life starts with knowing God. Eternal life starts with knowing Jesus. Now this word know, it's not talking about just intellectual knowledge. It's not just talking about religion. It's not just talking about, yeah, yeah, I know about God. I know about Jesus. This word know is a very, very special word. It means to know personally and intimately. If you go to the Old Testament, it's the word in which was used when Adam knew his wife Eve and they brought forth a son. It's that intimate knowing. It's a knowing where you're getting to know him on a daily basis. You're pulling up your chair. You're having a coffee with your Bible and God. You're leaning in. You're reading the Scriptures. You're talking. You're listening. You're letting yourself open up to God. You're getting to know Him. That's when eternal life becomes real, friend. That's when you begin to experience God at a level that you'll never experience God if you just know Him in your head. It's one thing to know God in your head and to know Him from your heart. Can you say amen? Two different things. That's what he says eternal life is. Pastor Robert, will knowing God really affect my life in a good way? You know, I've met some people who don't believe that it will. I've met some people 
who say they know God and they're Christians, but they just believe it's going to help them feel better, go to heaven when they die, but really doesn't have any relevant help in everyday living. There are people who exist that believe that way. Let me turn your attention to Psalm chapter 1. One of my favorite portions of Scripture, look at it, out of the easy-to-read version Bible. Great blessings belong to those who don't listen to evil advice, who don't live like sinners, and who don't join those who make fun of God. Verse 2. Instead, they love the Lord's teachings and think about them day and night. Look at the result. So they grow strong like a tree planted by a stream, a tree that produces fruit when it should and has leaves that never fail. Everything they do is successful. The New King James says, everything they do will prosper. Come on, how many of you want God at your back just causing you to step into prosperity, to step into successful living with God, victorious Christian living with God, This is what happens when you begin to experience eternal life. Pastor Robert, how do I get that? You get that by turning from your ways, renouncing your sin, receiving the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection. And let me add this, and then making a decision to follow Him. Amen? See, walking with God... It's more than just a verbal commitment. It's a daily, ongoing, growing commitment. Now, I'm saying this as gracious as I possibly can. God is not mad at you. All of His wrath was put on Jesus. All of the sin of the world was put on Jesus. But I will say this, and you need to know, the Bible says in Hebrews that it's appointed once. For every man to die. And then after that, the judgment. See, there is no reincarnation. There's no coming back as a cow or a dog or a cat. There is no purgatory where you get a second chance to try to work it off and maybe you'll do better this time and then you can get through. There is no coming back and trying to experience nirvana and ultimate bliss and you just keep kind of evolving until finally you're God yourself. All of that is false religion. There's only one Savior who died for your sin and resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit, and His name is Jesus Christ. And He's the only one that will give us eternal life. So the power of the resurrection of Christ helps me by offering me, listen, a forgiven life, a worry-free life, a life of freedom and transformation, and last but not least, an eternal life. Let me ask you a question. Did that help somebody today? Did that encourage you today? Come on, let's stand to our feet as we close and we pray. You know, one of the things that all of heaven gets excited about and rejoices about is when one person commits to Jesus or recommits to Jesus. It's possible for someone to be here and have never really made a commitment to Jesus, never got born again. Or it's possible 
that you did, but for some reason or another over the years, you got off track. And you know you're not walking close with him anymore. Well, listen, God wants you back in a close relationship. I don't want to assume that everybody's saved and on their way to heaven and walking in relationship with God. So would you just bow your heads with me? And I'm going to have you repeat a prayer after me. If you're already saved, just let this prayer be a reminder of your commitment to Christ. But if you're not saved, allow this to bring you into a fresh relationship with God so that you're experiencing this new life that I talked to you today about. Let's go ahead and repeat this after me. Say this, Father God, thank you for sending Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that He died for my sins and that He rose again on the third day. I confess Him as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and help me to live for You. In Jesus' name, Amen. again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.